0: And welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Poetic Earthlings. Greetings to all sentient life forms in the universe. Welcome to Poetic Earthlings, a show that will provoke, inspire, and alter your perception. Here's your host from a remote location south of the 49th parallel, York Campbell. Part storytelling, part sci fi. Poetic Earthlings is the creation of York Campbell. An anthology of short fiction, social commentary, satire, and introspection. The episodes of Poetic Earthlings are mostly narrated monologues set to rhythm, music, and sound effects. Campbell draws inspiration from his personal life to share perspectives or engage in speculative fiction. As he says on his website that while he cannot please everyone, he promises to be honest. Even if the stories are weird and out of this world, they all contain a grain of truth. The first episode of Poetic Earthlings is called My Meeting with Oprah and is about an author who receives a tempting offer from the queen of all media herself. The second episode, Rebirth of Man, is a science fiction short about a robot who is charged with restarting the human race. I spoke to York remotely from his home. Tell me a little bit about yourself as an artist and your creative background.
1: As an artist, I've always been invested in telling stories. I used to perform rap songs and write lyrics for different rap groups way back in the 80s. And also I used to venture out from there and did some science fiction stories, some on-stage performances as well. So writing has always been a part of me. It's always been in my blood. I see the music that I did, the stories And everything is a part of the same thing. They're just it's it's a stories that I do, but they're just told in a different medium.
0: How did you get started with that? Were you doing this when you were young?
1: Oh yeah. I mean I got started in writing in general, music, telling stories, science fiction. When I was in preschool, I used to my 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 teacher gave us an assignment where she just gave us one sentence, say for instance the little boy went to Mars. She gave everyone that sentence. And then what she encouraged the students to do is to tell a story. That's how I got into writing in preschool. So I took that one sentence of the little boy going to Mars and I made it into a story. And she gave me more assignments and I kept on writing. And then she was my, I guess, my editor. Uh, she will take my handwritten scribbles on the on the paper And she'll just type them up the old-fashioned way, the old-fashioned typewriter. And so that's how I got started.
0: That's really cool. That's a great prompt, especially to give kids. Did you go to school to study writing at all? Or do you have any kind of education in the arts?
1: I do. I didn't go to school directly for the writing. I I went to a school that was all about broadcasting, to be on the radio, to be on television, because I was really interested in, I guess, radio back then. But when I was taking that course, because all my mind was focused on was to writing stories, fictional stories. But then they started to talk about different journalism and and sorting out new sources. And a lot of mm-hmm. that, I just really just yeah. wasn't interested in, And in camera work and technical things. I just wanted to write stories. So I ended up not even graduating from there. And I went to something totally different. I went into law enforcement. But I still enjoy, obviously, writing stories. So even on my assignments at work, I'm always thinking about stories. And how could this situation lead into uh, an an episode of my show? Or how could this lead into a book?
0: How did you come to start doing audio drama?
1: I started thinking about audio drama when I was listening to AM radio. Mm. Now, in the nighttime am radio was uh, kind of like a wild west of conspiracy <laughs> theories <laughs> and yeah. and strange happenings i used to listen to a guy in the desert his name is or his name was art bell and he used to put oh, on yeah, art bell, yeah 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 and so so way in the wee hours of the night he's telling fascinating stories about alien abduction and and strange shadow people and and a conspiracy theory of 12 people owning the entire earth and all of these things, 99% of those things, I just totally did not believe at all. But it made for good stories. <laughs> and I was intrigued. Exactly. And so that kind of gave me the starting point to say, hey, I could do this as well. But it wasn't till much later on that I started listening to podcasts. I started listening to podcasts when the industry itself was young, but I didn't start podcasting for quite some time after that. So I was brainstorming ideas of what I could podcast about. I told my wife and she said, well, you've written a lot of stories, right? You've written over 400 stories. What about if you just take those stories and put it into a podcast? And then I said, well, that sounds like a good idea. And then she's, yeah. yeah. And then she said, she said to me, well, just lean on your weirdness, you earthling. So I took out all those 400 or more stories and dusted them off and, and tried to figure out how I could put all of this into a story. And that's what I came up with uh, poetic earthlings.
0: I remember listening to Art Bell when I was younger some of the other overnight really weird shows that were out there man those were the days when you could actually have kind of a storytelling weird fictional experience on the radio of course now it's all heavily corporatized which is why i, I like podcasting because that that stuff has moved into the into the podcast world um yeah oh, that's so that's, cool.
1: that's right
0: yeah yeah i'm curious as to what drew you to science fiction
1: i've always been into science fiction growing up watching Twilight Zone <laughs> that was uh, that was my that was my thing back then. I used to watch even the Black and white Twilight Zone mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, with Ross Sterling and he was just amazing the way that he put stories. He made you think what if the world was like this or what if this happened and what if you put your hand through a wall and it goes into another realm? Just those ideas and I couldn't understand at the time why my friends and people that I grew up with A lot of them weren't into science fiction. My mom and everyone else said, well, just stick to the real world. And I found that the real world was so predictable at times and kind of passe. And Mm. I didn't understand why wouldn't they want to think of the world being in a different way.
0: Tell me in your own words, what is Poetic Earthlings?
1: Poetic Earthlings is an attempt to see everyone as who we really are, besides all of our labels besides our ethnicity, besides all of our titles. It's so that we could understand each other in a more profound way, while still asking those what-if questions that science fiction always likes to talk about, is to expose us to deeper realities and deeper truths. So that's what I see Poetic Earthlings
0: as. So these pieces are all written by you, and they're sort of self-contained stories. And you set them to music. You sometimes add sound effects and things like that, too. What drew you to this particular format, this particular style?
1: I have a lot of ideas. I have so many ideas that if I were just to work on one idea, as I did before, not in a podcast form, but in a very, very long, drawn out science fiction book that was just way too long. I I, I got bored while I was writing that book, and I couldn't wait until the book was done because there were just so many ideas popping into my mind, and not all of them were science fiction. I said, hey, what about if I should write a children's book? What about a Western? What about all these other things? Nope, I got to stick to this long science fiction book. So when I got the opportunity to do a podcast, I was thinking of doing a a long sci-fi serialized or, you know, I don't think I'm that disciplined. Uh, yeah my mind jumps to so many ideas but even with this anthology uh, that's why i do it it's it's the amount of ideas that i have but also there is a golden thread if you listen carefully with the season there is a there is a story uh sometimes one character will pop into another story and then somebody else you'll see him way later on even though it's an anthology, it's an ensemble cast. And there's a climax, if you will, at the end of it, where everything just leads into this. And all of the stories that you may think that's not connected, they are connected.
0: When I was listening to your show, and I, I listened to the first couple of episodes for the purposes of our discussion here, but I also hopped around and I listened to a few others here and there just to kind of you know pick a few. I get some vibes of Joe Frank, who famous radio person who did the powerful stories usually him monologuing with music in the background, right? I'm also reminded of a performance artist, Laurie Anderson, and some of her spoken word storytelling kind of stuff. What are your influences for this particular kind of style?
1: Well, you mentioned one of the influences right there. You said Joe Frank. And so I listened to him constantly and just to see how he puts together his dreamlike stories because all of his stories, it just feels like a dream. And it seems almost irrational where he takes you. And he gently leads you to one place, to another, and you don't even know how you ended up there. You're kind of surprised yeah. of where, how did I get here? I was in bed and now I'm on a rocket ship and, and I'm having a dinner with all of these uh, dictators all around the world that has passed on. How did I get here? Yeah, I like the surprises in his story, his delivery as well. And that really influenced me quite a lot. Uh, Listening to him and listening to tons of podcasters I've listened to as well to figure out their style, their delivery, their voice. What is your aim with your voice? When I started, my voice wasn't really there and I had to figure it out. I was way too high with my voice or way Mm. too hyper there was 400 there's there's 400 episodes that you didn't hear because I erased those 400 episodes
0: so you had a bunch that you deleted because you didn't yeah. like the sound of your voice the way you yeah. approached it
1: so i had 400 episodes and i confronted my wife i talked to my wife all the time about what i'm doing with the show and i said to her that i'm going to do something a little bit radical and she says what are you going to do and i said well you know those 400 episodes well, I'm going to get rid of all of those ones. And I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to start from scratch. I'm going to invest a little bit more in my in my equipment, practice a little bit more and work out a new path. And she said, no, don't do that. That's just crazy. Look how long it's taking you to do it. And I said, I know it's taking me forever to make those 400 episodes. But now I think I figured out my voice. Because before, just as an example, some of the earlier runs, I'd be like, almost like a radio host. Hey guys, guess what's going on here? I got, this is Poetic things. <laughs> my name is Yorick Campbell. <laughs> so that wasn't really working out. And when I listened to those, I, I'm like, well, that's not me. So it took about 400 episodes, right? And then I figured it out just to relax a little bit more on the microphone and not to have too much in my mind that this is a grand performance. Because when I build up the anticipation and the moment, and the curtains open, and people are looking and staring at me with binoculars from the balcony, then I could start to get all nervous, and my voice fluctuates, and I do all crazy things, and I don't even know the person that's presenting.
0: That's amazing. So that's like what a year and a half of work.
1: Yeah, about there.
0: Wow. Okay, that must have been scary to make that step. Oh yeah, it,
1: it was. It was because. Because I said, well, I am going to lose people, but that's okay. I had a small audience anyways. You know, whenever we do something new, it's always going to be a little bit scary. It made the work itself tremendously more difficult because before there was no music, there was no sound effects. And so when I started putting in the music and buying different equipment, it was a lot harder. The learning curve was so much harder, but at the end, it's a lot more rewarding.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have to commend you on that because I think it's so hard to let go. You you invest so much of yourself into the work you do. And sometimes it's hard to look back at things that you've sort of invested yourself into and say, you know what? I need to let this go because it's not where I am now. Writers, especially there've been times when I have, I spent a week working on a chapter uh, and then I'm reading it. I'm like, this just isn't working. You know, it's, it's 4,000 words. It's 5,000 words. And I'm like, this is not working. I have to ditch it and and start anew. And that's always hard to do because you feel like, oh, the effort got wasted. But I don't think it's wasted, right? I think no. it's part of the learning process.
1: It's not wasted at all. And I think that's what I had to yeah. say to my beautiful wife at the time. I said, that was a practice session of 400 episodes. Nothing is wasted.
0: You do this largely by yourself. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. I do. I do everything by myself. Sound design and edit. Yeah, every, everything is by myself.
0: Some of the episodes are little bites of sci-fi, and yet some of them seem more sort of traditionally storytelling or very personal or perhaps satirical. So I'm curious as to how you decide what you want to write and then what you put on the show.
1: The best stories that I have is is when it's personal, when I have kind of some skin in the game, when I'm exposing myself to everyone, where I could just take a real part of my life. For instance, i done one where I'm talking about Jamaica, I'm born in Jamaica, and I talk about Canada, I, I, I grew up in the very cold part of Canada, where I'm currently living right now. And that one is a science fiction story. And you'll think, wow, wait a second, this is a science fiction story. But yeah, it is. But a lot of it is truth. I talk about my time in Jamaica. And I talk about that I was brought here uh, to Canada when I was very, very young. I didn't know what was going on. All of a sudden, I was on a plane. I thought I was being abducted by an alien. It, it was just so strange. <laughs> yeah, and then I saw snow for the first time. I didn't know what it was, and I had—I was wearing a big, gigantic snowsuit, and I saw <laughs> people I've never seen before. I was eating pizza and strange food I didn't like. It just—it it felt like an alien experience. That's how I draw my inspirations from. Also. When I'm taking the bus or the subway, I get a lot of inspiration from people. I was on a bus and there's this huge guy that got on the bus. He he had muscles popping out of his neck. His chest was exposed. He had a gigantic crucifix on his chest and he just looked mean and vicious. And so while I was on the bus looking at him, I took out my pen and paper. I didn't want him to see. I just started writing what I saw. That turned into a story. So things like that on my travels, if I see somebody interesting, I just start to take note of that person and write about him or her.
0: Would you say that your science fiction stories are also personal?
1: Uh, The best ones are, I do try to find an element of truth, even if it's something that's so outrageous, so far reaching, and you think, well, how could there be an element of truth in this? There's even some episodes that I take an opposing view, an opposing worldview. Or a worldview that I don't even endorse, but it's good for it's good for a story, and I go into that character's mind.
0: The first episodes of your reboot, the first one yes. is called "My Meeting with Oprah." It sounds like a very personal anecdote. The speaker of the story gets an invitation to sell his book to Oprah Winfrey.
1: Yeah, the Oprah story, my meeting with Oprah, that comes part of that story comes from a true place. When I wrote a book called Universe Splendor, that's my first book that I've ever published, my wife said at the time, hey, honey, what about if you, you know, call Oprah and tell her about your book and see if you could be on her show? And I said, are are, are you nuts? I I can't just get on the phone and call Oprah. (laughs) She would just laugh at me. And then she says, No, no, baby dear. I mean, people do this all the time. You you have a good book. What about if you mail your book? You, you know, just send it through the mail and follow up on the phone with somebody, see if they got it, and and, and you'll be on the show and people will like you, you'd be rich and famous. Hey, what about if you do that? And I had to sit her down. I said, You know who you're talking about, right? The Oprah Winfrey. I can't just get on the phone and talk to her. She probably has a whole bunch of people screening everything that she does. And if I send my book, it's just going to go on a, on a log pile of a, of a thousand books all around the world. And she said, yeah, yeah, people do this, you know, just take a chance. And so that was why I wrote my meeting with Oprah, based on her conversation. And it's sort of fictitious, sort of true. And, and then I was thinking yeah. within, within that story, how plausible would it be to have a meeting with Oprah?
0: There is a lot of humor woven into it and some of the ridiculous elements of it the storyteller tells us that Oprah's calling him personally. And then there's already a plane ticket waiting in the mailbox. You know,
1: (laughs) (laughs) the phone rang an ecstatic voice was heard on the other end. Guess who was calling? I restrained my enthusiasm. She jabbered about a book deal, an exclusive interview and a couple of shows in Vegas. She wanted to make me famous like Tyler Perry. She had a plane ticket with my name on it and a five-star hotel suite at the Marriott. But I wasn't buying it. Who does she take me for? An idiot? So I slammed down the receiver. I mean, I slid my finger across the
0: screen. But you get the idea. My meeting with Oprah concludes with the storyteller declining to work for oprah because oprah is demanding content changes the storyteller refuses to sacrifice his artistic principles in order to become rich and famous that seems like a rather interesting story to start your new series with what were your thoughts on that
1: when you get to a certain point the higher ups they want to control your content when you become a certain status you have a clout you have respect in the field but then It's very easy for you to be controlled. So I was thinking, if I get to that point, would I be strong enough to resist somebody like Oprah to say, no, this is my story and this is how I want it to be. I don't want to change it around too much or it's not going to sound me. It's going to sound like somebody else. It's going to be inauthentic. When Back in the day when I was making rap songs, we used to say, we don't want to sell out. We were really underground, at least the groups that I listened to and all my friends, the circle of friends that I had were underground. It was cool to be small in a way, to be unnoticed. But then some people that were underground, the major record labels said, Hey, you're pretty good. And as soon as they went above ground to the mainstream, their voice changed. They weren't as as aggressive, they weren't as rough, they weren't as experimental. And so on that piece, at the end of my meeting with Oprah, I didn't, I didn't want my sound to, to become corporate. And that's still a struggle, even to this day.
0: That's always the trade-off, right? Whenever money enters the field, it's always about, well, if we're going to invest in you, you need to make sure that you produce something that is palatable to a larger audience. And that becomes the question of artistic sacrifice versus getting paid.
1: Yeah, that's right. And even there's a lot of artists, podcasters, that is, they like to have huge sponsors. But with sponsors comes a a lot of responsibility where their voices start to enter your mind. And you say, well, this is a little bit too risque, or this is a little bit too radical. I should just ease it back a little bit, even if they're not telling you to ease it back.
0: Yeah. The second episode, Rebirth of Man, is more of a straight sci-fi kind of story. It tells the story of a robot who has been built by the last living human because humans are dying out. There's been some sort of war or catastrophe and that uh, humans are gone. The creator of the robot, however, has found a way to continue. He's built a series of clones, which the robot is charged with growing and rekindling human life on Earth. Talk to me about this story and where this story came from for you.
1: This story originated from a science in Japan, artificial intelligence. There's a line of robots that are there for people when they're dying. If they don't have a family members or or anyone that they're close to, a robot will be by their side. And that robot Hmm. will be a source of comfort and compassion. So what I did with that idea is that I took it to a way higher level and I thought, well, say for instance If there's only one more living, breathing human being, he's a scientist. He creates a robot after his own image. So Mm -hmm. this, so this, so, so the story is a compassionate piece. I wanted to really emphasize the compassion, even though the robot is AI technology. I wanted the robot to feel the owner's pain. I looked out at the scorched earth, at the monuments of glass and steel, at the structure of decadence. All has fallen, like Babel, like Jericho. No laughter of children. Music is a distant memory. Poetry and art has been burned in the fire. My maker attaches my right arm as I wiggle my fingers in exploration. He inserts a silver instrument in my left hemisphere. He cast my body in a protective alloy. You must understand, humanity was once a proud race, a reflection of God. He said, looking sullen. Wet substance leaked from his eyes. He wiped it away as he stared through the glass. I looked at him inquisitively, this human being, the last of his kind.
0: In this episode, the creator apologizes for humankind to the robot. He says you have to understand that humans were once created in the image of God. What is the creator apologizing for?
1: The potential that the human race had. If you listen to it, he was mentioning different icons, St. Paul, Shakespeare, Einstein. And so he was proud of humanity despite all of the atrocities but I think it was more so that if there is an apology, it was more so that we could have done better. We've had so many gifts and so many resources, so much brilliance, but we've wasted it. We didn't take care of ourselves in the way that we needed to.
0: Is that how you feel about humanity at large, or is this just an exploration in this one story?
1: No, I I think I think we do have a lot of potential. We do have a lot of compassion, but sometimes it just gets so clouded. We become so petty. We become so tribal that we forget that we're connected to each other.
0: I took something from your website. You said I wrote and recorded these episodes to understand myself on a deeper level, to understand the purpose of the universe, and to comprehend the mind of God. Explain what you mean by that.
1: When I revamped the whole poetic earthlings. I wanted to understand why am I doing this, because it's always important to understand why, because I didn't understand it before. I was just creating episodes day after day, and it felt like if I was in a factory, just putting together all different pieces of stories and poetry. It took me a while to come up with that, with those three things. I had to pray about it. I had to think about it. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And I said, well, first of all, I'm doing this to understand myself better because sometimes I'm the villain in the story or the hero. I want to understand humanity better and what we are as, as, as a human race. And I want to understand the mind of God better and what he may be thinking about his ultimate creation. Whenever I veer off track with my podcast, I think about those three reasons that it helps me to streamline and to refocus everything that I'm doing.
0: What do you struggle with in your creative or personal life?
1: Creatively, the biggest struggle is, is the writing. Editing is really fun. Editing for me is sort of like magic. I'm mixing in different sound effects, different clips and different voices, and I'm creating a music bed and it just everything is just an incredible experience. But the hardest part for me is the actual writing. I was writing a story last night. And I was so thankful that I was done because it just took me forever. Sometimes a short story, it could take me three weeks because I, I take so much time into every sentence, every paragraph. And then I always try to find the heart of the story. And if the heart of the story that I'm writing is not there, then I'd stop the story or start over or go to another story.
0: How do you measure success?
1: I measure success when I play back the episode and I want to play it again. When I listen to my show, I try to listen to it as a regular person would listen to any other podcast. That's how I do. How I measure success is that once it's done, once it's out there, do I want to listen to it again? Right? That's an mm. indicator. Do I want to rewind that little section like, "Oh, what did, whoa, what did this person say even though
0: it's my voice or somebody else? What did that person say again? Let me go back 20 seconds." What lessons have you learned about creating audio drama? That you can share with people who might want to create their own.
1: Well, I like to say that audio dramas, if you are a writer and you want to really get involved in this, then this is the best medium to do it in. It's sort of like a magic show when it comes to putting it all together. And so if this is something that you want to do, just make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. Ask yourself, why am I doing this for? That's always a big thing. And always be honest with yourself. Also, when you're recording, try to expose some of yourself, your life story. She mentioned content changes. She circled large sections of the book that may offend the readers and other sections that didn't fit into a certain demographic. My eyes gravitated to the dollar symbol. My mind reflected on the fortune and fame. Was it worth it? When you're living, to make ends meet it's not an easy decision, but what type of person would I be? Oprah sat still like a pretty penny and waited. The blonde quarterback Was standing by in case things got ugly. I held the contract and the pen, found my name on the dotted line next to the
0: X, took a deep breath, and handed it back. The influences of classic overnight AM radio personalities are evident in Poetic Earthlings. The episodes strive to create a mood from words and music using lyrical language and evocative sound as the core of the experience. Because these stories are personal, they become more intimate, inviting the listener to connect with the storyteller personally as well. You can listen to Poetic Earthlings on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories! It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.